The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Everybody sells something, whether you are in promotions, customer service, or sales. Without a plan, you are looking at a near zero chance at success. Welcome to Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO with host Bill Bush. If you are looking to gain or retain your clients, this is one hour you and your business can't afford to miss. Now, here is your host, Phil Bush. Well, hello and wherever you are in the world today, this is Phil Bush. Welcome you to Sales Execution Optimization. And I am extremely excited about today's guest, an old friend, an old boss for that matter, I'm welcoming Don Reppert, the Managing Director of Fresh Eyes Consulting, and I have known Don for some time, and Don's got quite a background. He was a former Navy pilot, and Don, I seem to recall that being you were a sub-hunter, flew off the carriers, and Don came out of that career and went into sales with the Service Bureau Company, and then went from there to IBM, Control Data, and KPMG, so you've seen a lot gained a lot of experience with some of the largest and most successful solutions providers around. And you've also been part of four initial public offerings where we work together at Bachman Information Systems, Sear Technologies, Gig Information Systems, and Sapiens. And Don has been a president and COO of a couple of software companies. He founded Fresh Eyes Consulting in 2003 and been focused on the implementation of sales effectiveness, as you call it, and you work with companies like Cisco, NetApp, Rockwell Automation, and a host of others. Don is a Atlanta resident, has been for some time since 1981, very active in the community, still flies, holds a pilot's license, and flies out of the rapidly growing Paulding County Airport here in the greater Atlanta area. Don's also an avid golfer and tennis player. Don, welcome to the show. Happy to have you here. Well, thanks, Phil. That was quite an introduction. Good to be here. (laughs) Well, Don, you know, the name of today's show is interesting. I've called it the age of enablement, you know, and you and I have both been through a wide variety of sales training, sales techniques, et cetera. And we went from the old idea of it was about sales training until here we are today in 2016. And there's not a question of a lack of offerings. There's plenty of options. It's knowing what option to pick and whether you're a seller or a sales manager or you yourself are a sales enablement professional or a trainer. What do you do? And we've got some interesting keys that I think we're going to hit on today. And, Don, I know you feel pretty strongly about all these. It's, first of all, the one of the most important ones. And you and I have both dealt with this in different capacities. Don't go it alone. This is not about instantaneous gratification, which, of course, is the era we live in which makes this a little bit of difficulty. And selling is still selling, and enablement does put more tools in the sellers, but tools are simply tools. So, Don, I I think I want to start out talking to you about the first topic here, which is the notion of don't go it it alone. And I know you've worked on this a lot. Why is it so important for somebody in sales 
or, or sales management to have outside eyes looking at things? Uh, well, Phil, that's a great question, and I think there's probably a number of different responses. I think one of the things that we've seen, uh, I would say, over the last two decades is when you're trying to do a transformational kind of exercise in-house, uh, you've got to deal with the existing corporate structure. You've got to deal with reporting structures. You've got to deal with politics. Um, and, and if you knew what to do, you'd already have done it. Uh, so the value that an outside uh, organization like ours or, or many of the others bring in is kind of a fresh perspective um, and no bias. So typically when we get engaged with a client, uh, we're looking for the best outcome. We can represent the uh, we can represent all of the stakeholders who in, are involved, whether it's a planning process, uh, whether it's a restructuring, anything like that. Uh, it's a lot easier for somebody who doesn't have a vested interest in the organization to provide an unbiased view uh, and opinion on on what the best way to go is, and to make sure that all of the stakeholders are incorporated. Um, yeah, other- Don, that's very true. And the other thing, Phil, that, that strikes me is uh, you mentioned some of the companies we've had, uh, in the case of Cisco, over a decade worth of in, uh, experience with. You know, they've done some things, and it's interesting to watch how when you're talking about in context of sales enablement, typically the salespeople get pulled in to do the meeting facilitations, the prep work, the follow-ups, um, and there's two issues with that. The first is is that that's not part of their core competency, and the second problem is is it takes them away from the valuable time that they have in the field to sell. So another value that the outside service provides is it supplements as the company or the customer needs resources as opposed to taking away resources from probably an already strapped sales organization. Yeah, Don, I think that's a great point because many of the sales organizations I see, the salespeople are so busy just trying to keep up that they have a heck of a time doing anything. And then we throw extra stuff on them. And you're right, Don, they they simply they don't have the patience for it. And one of the things that I, I believe is that when you're selling to salespeople, you're selling to some of the least patient people in the world. And that's just a fact. And uh, I think we've both seen that, you know. Yeah, I think patient so, uh, people not I, make salespeople. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right, Don. Well said. Now, you know, one of the interesting things is, you know, it, it's the notion and, and, and tying into that last point you made, you know, why does it work or why doesn't it work? What, what things have you seen out there that tells us in the age of enablement that it's going to work or it's not going to work? Uh, well, I think we have some, some really empirical data there. I mean, first of all, at least for my organization, which is Fresh Eyes Consulting, virtually 100% of, of our business uh, comes to us by word of mouth, that is, former clients. Um, if it wasn't working and they weren't happy and they didn't see value, I, I don't think that we would be getting the kind of response and phone calls and, and continual business over the over the years that we've seen. So... I think the, the proof is kind of in the pudding. Um, mm. So, you know, some of the other things that I've seen that, that work well and others that don't work well is, um, believe it or not, in some of the larger organizations, you may have a separate organization called sales operations or something to that effect. Um, 
typically not staffed by former salespeople. Um, being driven by different metrics than the sales organization is being driven by. So I think the important thing, and one of the things that we see as a critical success factor and a best practice, is make sure that before you launch into an endeavor that deals with sales enablement, make sure that all the constituents are, are, are operating off of the same script. Um, you can't have sales operations being judged on how well they manage a budget and the sales organization being judged on, you know, how much revenue they produce. So I would say those are, yeah. are probably two key points that uh, I would say might hopefully answered your question. Oh, I agree, Don, 100%. And that's one of the things that is so striking to me is, you know, when you, you see different people being measured, you know, and many people have to sign off typically on a sales enablement endeavor. As you mentioned, you've got a financial sign off, you've got a sales sign off, you've got an operational sign off. And as you say, if they're all being judged differently, well, right there, you are setting yourself up for a lot of not only failure, but I would say expensive failure. And I, I think we've both seen that in our careers. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and what's interesting to me is, you know, you know, the thing is, is that there are always people who think, oh, well, and, and you made an interesting comment earlier is, and I've had this conversation with many different both sales, marketing, operational executives is, look, you know, your salespeople are there because they're really good at selling. And that could be any combination of things, selling the, a product or a service, managing relationships, ensuring customer success. But why put them in a position to do something that they're not necessarily very good at? And I, I think you alluded to that earlier, which we've seen a lot of. And it's, again, it's a very expensive endeavor. So, so why go down that path? Yeah, and, and Phil, I think to that point, uh, a lot of companies are not capturing those types of metrics. Um, it yeah. is expensive to pull people in, whether it's on a teleconference or it's, it's uh, you know, in an off-site location. Um, and if you don't get the results that you're looking for, I mean, it not only was a waste of everybody's time, um, but you didn't move the ball forward. And... Uh, I can remember when I started doing this type of work, gosh, I guess it was close to, I hate to say this, but, you know, it was about 15, <laughs> 16 years ago. I remember, you know, it took me a good three to four months to get to the point where I felt that I was adding the kind of value that, uh, that our daily rate, you know, was commanding at the time. So it, it's right. not something that's intuitive. It's something that has to be practiced. It's a skill that has to be acquired um, and it does not come naturally to most folks. So I would agree with you. And again, I think that's all part of the value yeah. proposition we bring to the table. Right. And that's what's interesting, Don, is having been in that role of a seller, uh, a sales manager, an executive at an organization, you've lived it from many different angles. So clearly you've come to these conclusions, not just through, you know, one endeavor, but from all all parts of the endeavors that you've worked on, and it's kind of led you to the conclusion, I won't say conclusions is a bad word, but kind of the current state that you see things in today. Is that a fair statement? Oh, very fair, Phil, and, and what a great observation you just made. Uh, I think back to, you know, our weekly meetings at Bachman, and I think of other management mm -hmm. positions that uh, 
that we would have periodic meetings to get status updates on where where we are in the cycle, what's the forecast look like, things of that sort. Uh, and when you do that without an outside third party, I mean, you have to do some of it. Clearly, you can't have a third party in there yeah. every week. Um, but yeah. th- there is an inherent reluctance, uh, depending upon the topic, for people to speak their mind. And what you really want to try to do in enablement is make sure that all of your assets get to voice their opinions, observations, suggestions, so that you can come up with the best possible approach to solving whatever pro- uh, issue you're trying to deal with. Um, and that's tough to do if you're an internal guy. Uh, it's a lot easier for yeah. somebody coming from the outside to do. If I were, to, if I were in, a, in a sales leadership position again, I would, I would absolutely uh, lobby extremely hard to bring a third party in uh, to deal with some of the quarterly reviews and things of that sort. Yeah, and that's a great point, Don. And, and to that point, you mentioned you can't have an outsider in on everything, but I think you raise a great point is you use them in a selective fashion to bring those outside eyes or, as your, as your company says, those fresh eyes to looking at things. And what I wonder about is, you know, and we get hung up in our industry, in the sales industry in general, and I don't want to get hung up there in this conversation, but I think it's important that we don't not talk about technology and tools because there certainly have been some advances that have brought some value. Oh, and I couldn't agree with you more. I am – I can't begin uh, – to do justice to the advancements that technology has added to the to the whole concept of sales enablement, um, I, I think back to when I went through solution selling for the first time, probably close to 30 years ago. Everything was being tracked on papers and forms, and I mean, what a nightmare! Uh, the stuff that we're seeing from from companies today uh, not only helps with keeping track of all that stuff on sales cycles that may last as many as 10 months to two years for the bigger deals. Um, but we've also got new visualization capabilities. For example, the ability to, to take a good old-fashioned org chart and to not only show the formal reporting structures, but the informal reporting structures and the influence maps that exist across the enterprise. Um, you know, two companies that, that immediately come to mind are Revigy here in Atlanta, uh, and Sales Performance International out of Charlotte. Um, both have uh, unique approaches to the market. There is uh, overlap between their two companies, but um, the, the visualization and the ability to integrate playbooks and things of that sort, um, we're getting about twice as much done in a one-day planning session, for example, uh, as it took us between two and two and a half days to do before. So... Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty bullish yeah. on existing technology. Yeah, and I think that's a great point because you know again it, it's really and we're going to talk about that a little later in more detail. But you bring up great points, and you know everything used to be back of napkin, back of paper, and it's really hard to keep all those things straight because one of the things that's most constant in, in sales execution optimization, the word that I think defines it more than any word is change because just when you think a sales cycle is going a certain direction you're going to get hit with a change and I know you've seen a lot of that well and that's absolutely the case I think uh, and, and I think we're going to talk about execution 
and operationalization yeah, later. Uh, later in the in the session. But uh, that's absolutely the case. If you don't have your your execution model in some sort of an automated um, tool, for lack of a better description, then you have no way to make changes. And as we know, change can take place hourly, daily, uh, certainly at a pace that you can't keep up with manually. It's just too many moving pieces and parts. Yeah, and that that's the thing that I think is such an important you know, for our, for our audience, I want to make sure everyone understands is if you think the pace of change in any way, shape, or form is slowing down, I got some really important news for you. It's just going to get faster because, Don, I remember a quote that uh, you hit me with back in the bad old days, you know, before we were doing this. But I remember you having heard a particular lecture or talk that we said the 1990s would be looked back as the good old days. And boy, I got to tell you, in 2016, I think you're absolutely correct. It is. Yeah, uh, and and it was interesting. I think uh, we were looking at some heuristics that came out of Ernst and Young um, that really began to document and confirm the pace of change. Uh, Daryl Connors, yeah. the gentleman's name that comes to mind, and he talked about. How future shock was, you know, was going to be something that we're all going to have to deal with, which is the inability to assimilate any more change. Um, I think with the advances in technology, specifically things around the cloud, uh, I think we're beginning to get some help to where we can assimilate more of that change. But yeah, and as soon as we get that, <laughs> then we go ahead and start bumping up the the limits with how much change we can deal with. So. It's a constant dynamic, and it's something we're going to have to deal with for a long time to come. And that's going to be this part of our second topic, which is the notion of given what Don just mentioned, what are best practices to deal with in that regard? And we come back. We're going to take a short break. We come back. We're going to talk about what Don and I have seen that really helps you deal with that and make it real and you make it executable. So – We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Maverin Sales and Marketing is a methodology independent and worldwide resource to help organizations better execute on sales process, sales coaching, sales planning, territory development, partner execution, and related topics. The organization works across all industries. Sales has certain elements that are beyond training and are better addressed by a company like Maverin, where each situation is unique. Reach out to Maverin by email at psbmaverin at gmail.com or call 404-840-4927. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. 
Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO. To reach Phil Bush or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to psbush at bellsouth.net. Now, back to Sales Execution Optimization. Well, welcome back to our show. And we had a great first segment with our guest, Don Reppert, head of managing director of Fresh Eyes Consulting. And Don, I think you really kind of struck home some nerves there and the notion of the outsider view, the notion of you've got to invest to make this real. And the fact that we finally, after many years of suffering, got some tools out there that can help us. Although you're the first to always say that tools are simply tools. They're not the answer. So, so given all of that, now let's talk about current circa 2016, what are the best practices? And the first thing I want to talk about, what's really interesting to me, is the nature of how we evaluate people, methods, et cetera. But the 360 view is a very popular in HR and training, the feedback loop as it is. And, you know, did we get the results we expected? And they don't seem to really become into play when it comes to this topic of enablement. Why would you say that is, Don? What have you seen? Well, you know, Phil, it's uh, that's a great question. And and what we see, believe it or not, um, sales is typically the last discipline um, to get rigor uh, for for God knows what reasons. Uh, over the years, we've always <laughs> viewed selling, I guess, as an art. And, and the people yes. that are good at it, the closers, the sellers, the people that are very successful, you know, it was a little bit of black magic. And and I think probably back in the late 80s, early 90s was really the first attempt to be, uh, to really add some rigor and discipline to the sales process. And it is a process just like anything else. So I think the adoption in sales uh, is probably the last. We saw it in HR. It was, you know, it was easy to do. It was... Uh, uh, automated quickly with the ERP vendors, you know, the people saw us, the oracles, et cetera, SAPs. Um, and they were really the first people to do that. Why we didn't do it in sales, um, and I still don't see a lot of it, is I think it's, again, maybe your point in the first part of the session, which was salespeople are busy folks. Uh, if I'm doing 360s, yes. I'm, 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 not, <laughs> I'm not selling. But I, but I think the concept of a, a 360 is, is great, 
We used to talk about win-loss reviews. Uh, Most of the companies we get initially engaged with don't do that on a formal basis. If you want to volunteer your observations of a sales cycle, you're welcome to do that, but typically it's not part of the DNA of a company to do win-loss reviews. Um, The other thing that that I think is important around a 360, assuming you buy into that, that philosophy that it is important to complete the circle, is what we really want to do is make the circles much, much tighter. And by that, I want to have early warning systems in place that as we break down a, you know, a long sales cycle that could go months, if not years, we're doing 360s all the time. Um, if we mm-hmm. wait until after the fact, we may miss something, and we can go back, look over our shoulder and say, holy smokes, we missed that $20 million opportunity, and here's why. Everybody can nod their head yes, but it, it didn't put $20 million on the top line. So I think we really need uh, t- to consciously tighten up three, do them in the first place, and then tighten them up to, to where they become right. dots and not circles. And, and actually, that I, I couldn't agree more with you, Don. And what that really ties back into is the nature of what we talked about, which is the nature of change. Because when what you just said was very interesting, because you talked about doing almost constant 360s. Because if you don't have, and that goes back to sales execution optimization, title of this show is all about having a model you can execute against. Because you made the comment earlier, Don, and I, again, I still see this in certain environments where they think, oh, well, I'm a seller. I just go out and I do it. Well, another thing that, Don, I remember you, you and I talked about back in the day was the nature of, and there, this because it still exists. There are people who literally who still go out there, admittedly, and just do it. I do understand that. And we call them the unconscious competence. They still exist. However, I find less of that now because the nature of sales has changed so much. And I think your point is really important that we've got to have models to really execute against to be successful. Yeah, and when it comes to the 360, Phil, I think uh, the visualization that might help people understand the concept is don't think about a single circle. Think about concentric circles. You want to take that big opportunity that you're chasing and break it down into truly bite-sized pieces and parts. So if something does go sideways, you have an opportunity to put it back on the track before it, you know, derails the whole train. Yes. Yeah. And it's funny, Don, the the analogy I use, and, you know, I know as a pilot, this is one you'll like. And uh, one of the analogies I always talk to people when I'm starting to talk about an enablement activity, I say, look, if you're if you're in a boat leaving port and you're only a little bit off course, let's just say you're a two degrees off course, but you don't correct it. Well, then guess what? In about three months, you're already wandering into enemy waters. So now you got real problems. Whereas if you make that correction early, you go ahead and make that correction, then you, it's not a big deal. And so I always say, if, you, if you're going to get to that point where you're in enemy waters, my advice to you is going to be politely, abandon ship because you're about to take two up the side and I can't help you very much. And I'm sure that's something you've seen as well. Yeah, and I think just uh, I'll just add one, one thought to your point there. Um, as much as we would like to think that every deal is winnable, some deals aren't. And uh, what right. these mini 360s give you the ability to do 
is cut your losses as soon as it becomes apparent that you can't win the deal. Um, and I've seen people that will ride that poor horse, you know, into the dirt, yes. uh, knowing that, that they've got less than a 20% chance of winning the deal. Um, yes. But, but again, you know, the 360s is your visibility to give you, um, you know, that opportunity to make the call. Do we go or do we, do we pull the plug? Right. And let's take that one step further because you just mentioned, you know, something that I know in sales you get hit with all the time, which is metrics. And I and I know I and you have been through as many metric management systems out there as there are hours in the day. But, you know, you know, the notion of how we measure what metrics we use, what do you see out there being best practices today? Well, uh, I think you bring up a great point. There, there are a ton of metrics available. Um, I would, I would, for lack of a better term, call them standards or or boilerplates. And I don't think any of the metrics out of the box that are commercially available, or even the ones you develop internally, are designed to be used without some consideration for specifics. Uh, to measure a salesperson purely on, you know, top line or revenue generated, for example. Um, is okay, but that will drive the sales organization to perhaps do things that um, overlook larger, longer-term opportunities. So you can't take a look at one metric and expect it to apply to every sales situation in your enterprise. Uh, I think that's um, a combination of either being lazy or being naive. Um, It's very Mm. important to take into consideration what you're asking a particular individual to do and how it fits into the grand scheme of things. In other words, a much more holistic approach to assigning metrics. Um, the other thing that we see is, is there seems to be a lack of consideration for how much money is being spent, real money, when you ask a salesperson to do something outside of his or her scope. Um, there is a cost to doing that, and very, very few companies are capturing that. Um, we just had a customer I did a study for, uh, uh, for part of their, uh, their public sector uh, sales organization, specifically selling to state, local, and education, um, where after a two-day meeting, it, it became clear that almost 40%, 40% of the, of the salesperson's time was being spent in administrative uh, types of activities and meetings. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, yeah. You reduce that by 20%, yeah. and you can only imagine what impact that might have. So oh, I think you're right, Don. Metrics, I think the bottom line to metrics is, A, they have to be aligned uh, with what you're trying to accomplish as an enterprise, and, uh, and, and, and B, one size does not fit all. <laughs> so that would, that would be my summarization oh, yeah. of that question. Well, you're absolutely right, Don, and you made another comment in there that I, I think is very important for our audience to really walk away from. You know, it's one of the things about this, as you made the comment, which I thought was very, very important, is you can't have a single metric or a single factor be the only factor in determining success, because if you're not, you know, one of the things and I've made the comment into many of my clients is that salespeople look at two things and two things only, their compensation plan and their manager, and about in that order. So given that, they're going to look and see 
A, how they're being compensated, and B, their manager, and when in doubt, look at item one, my compensation. So if you're not careful, you can inadvertently train salespeople to execute bad practices. Is that true? <laughs> That's absolutely true. And unfortunately, we've seen it all the time. We've seen, we've seen yeah. compensation plans uh, that are diametrically opposed to what management is asking their people to do. And, and all that does is create stress, friction, and, and, and less than optimal results uh, when the day's done. Right. Well, well, Don, I think that's a great point. And so metrics are important, but you've got to know how to use them. And you can't just say, oh, well, it's all about this or all about that, because depending on the organization, it's going to be different. Now, this leads us to another important topic, which is when you're working on an individual opportunity, whether it be a large account, a, a growing account, could be a large account, you know, one of the things that I know you have been very much an outspoken uh, proponent of is really getting your customer or current prospect involved in the process to really build things out. How do you see that playing out in terms of best practices? What are the best companies doing right now? Well, uh, if you would have asked me that question five years ago, you'd have gotten a different answer. Um, but today... Yeah. Um, we find uh, we've got a lot of different thought processes uh, that are going on. We, we've now got things like social media. We've got, every, you know, we, we've got the internet. We've got a myriad of ways to research things. So customers are beginning to be, I would say, much better educated than they were five years ago or even seven years ago. So the client, interestingly enough, seems to be, at least my personal experience over the last three or four years, seems to be very willing to get involved with sales teams so that everybody gets to where they need to go when they need to get there. Um, uh, and I think for whatever reason, there's still a reluctance uh, on many sales teams to get their clients involved simply because they, you know, they don't want to quote, open up the kimono. They, you know, they, they think they're yeah. going to do a negotiation. It's going to weaken their position. Uh, and for what I've, I've seen firsthand, that's, that's absolutely uh, not the case. Uh, when, when you work through a process with the customer's involvement, understanding what the stakeholders are being held accountable for, and doing your best to go hand in hand to the finish line, no surprises, much, much higher uh, probability of success. Um, and I think that's what everybody's looking for. Yeah. And Don, I think you raise another great point because you know, the Gartner studies show that prior to talking to a salesperson about anything, the customer does 70% of their research online. So that tells you right away. Now, does that mean the customer knows everything? No, it doesn't. But they think they do. And no one likes to be told their baby's ugly. So you can't tell them they don't know. What you have to do instead is do what Don just suggested, which is get your customer or prospect involved in the process. And as you said, Don, many of them are very willing to be involved if they were only asked. But so many times, as you say, it's like, oh, no, we can't involve our, our customer or prospect in this. This is all secret stuff. Well, those days are, folks, long over in the age of enablement. Is that fair, Don? Yeah, that's fair. And, and, and the other side benefit, and it's really not a side benefit, it's more intangible, but 
The relationship that you build with your customer when you walk through a process like this is far stronger than, you know, any other any other technique you can possibly employ. So um, it's a great way yeah. to build trust, confidence, and establish credibility. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because to Don's point, I just got through doing a session very much like Don described with a, a company uh, and their uh, their prospect. And they didn't have, I won't say they had a bad relationship, but this opened up so many doors for them because so many more people came in because up front, at least, it wasn't a sales meeting. It was a joint meeting to build an execution plan to work together. And that really changed the entire scope of the relationship. And relationship, and Don just mentioned it, is still the key to what we're doing here. And I think, Don, you just kind of laid it out very nicely for our audience because you still have to really build relationships. No matter how you do it, you got to do it in sales, whatever you're selling. Fair enough? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think in this section, what we've talked about a lot is, you know, there's there is 360 type things to be done. But they may not be called 360s, but you have more frequent and formal, inner, you know, looking at where we are because you don't just want to let things go too long. The second thing is, is metrics. And you've got to make sure your metrics match your sales force, your sales organization. And, and it's not one size fits all because that's what gets you into trouble. And the third thing Don, I believe in what you said 100% that if, if most, I think, best practices today, customers are getting their clients involved early and often in building out joint execution plans to work things forward. So, Don, that was great stuff. Really appreciate it because I know you're living it every day, and I think our audience is going to benefit from it. When we come back, we're going to leave you guys with some interesting ideas about execution. How do you get there? What do you do? We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Maverin Sales and Marketing is a methodology independent and worldwide resource to help organizations better execute on sales process, sales coaching, sales planning, territory development, partner execution, and related topics. The organization works across all industries. Sales has certain elements that are beyond training and are better addressed by a company like Maverin, where each situation is unique. Reach out to Maverin by email at psbmaverin at gmail.com or call 404-840-4927. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
is Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO. To reach Phil Bush or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to psbush at bellsouth.net. Now, back to Sales Execution Optimization. Well, thanks very much, folks, for joining us again. And we've talked so far in the age of enablement with my guest, Don Ruppert, the Managing Director of Fresh Eyes Consulting. We've talked about where we are today and the fact that you almost have to be kind of an outsider to get things going. We've talked about what Don and I have seen in terms of best practices, what's really working out there. And there's some really interesting things. And now we're going to try and make sure, you know, we, we leave you with some things about what you can take away and take to your own business. And by the way, this is not aimed at any one kind of sale. This is whatever you sell, sell service or product-wise, if you take advantage of what you're hearing here, I do believe you're going to get some benefit from it. So, Don, let's talk about things that you know you see. I know some of these are new, some of these are not new, but it'll be an interesting discussion. And we talked about a little bit earlier, but how do you know when you're when things aren't going well, starting to head down that bad path? What are some of the signs that you see? Uh, well, you know, Phil, that's a great question, and you know, uh, the consultant's answer is it depends. <laughs> but I'll give you a couple of <laughs> ideas here. Um, I think the first challenge we have in judging the health of a particular opportunity or sale is is that. In many cases, there hasn't been a lot of work done up front. So if I don't really have a good understanding of what the team or the individual set out to do, it's very difficult to say, am I getting that done? You know, you start thinking of some of the things that Yogi Berra used to say, you know, if you don't, you know, uh, I wish I one come to mind. But And <laughs> the other thing we take a look at is if you do have a plan in place, then it's then it's pretty easy. If you start seeing deadline slip. Um, you want to be looking for things that are more behavioral than spoken. As much as all of us hate to say things, sometimes uh, our clients, for a variety of reasons, don't always share 100% of the story with us uh, 100% of the time. So the only thing that we have to go on then is tangential evidence that says, you know, is the client, if I've got the client engaged, participating as agreed? Uh, if not, how come? Uh, if my right. client is behaving the way I want my client to behave, then I think you can you can feel pretty good about the way things are going. However, when you start seeing things like slippage, um, phone calls not getting returned, um, missing assigned responsibilities, uh, change in in tone or personality, you know that's probably the first early warning sign you're going to get. And then, of course, the next question is: is how come? Um, again, yeah. if you don't have that infrastructure in place, it's very difficult to judge, you know, why something is going south. Um, I think there's an inherent sixth sense that most uh, salespeople have that you kind of know whether it's going to go south or not. But, you know, the question is, is why and how do I fix it? And that's where we really see right. a lot of companies struggling because they don't have that architecture for the sale in place. So they can say, here's what I set out to do. Uh, here's where it starts to break down, and if I can't fix it here, I'm probably not going to win. So I hope that yeah. I hope that answered your question. 
No, it's very well said, Don, and I'm going to actually quote my co-author of my book, Sales Thoughts, Brett Boston, who is a master facilitator and uh, has done this for years and years with many large groups. But Brett's got a pretty simple and admittedly poorly spoke. It's not great English, folks, but I will tell you this. Brett always likes to say, in a vacuum, them with a plan wins. Now, is that good English? Can't can't say it is, but you know I think it's true. And what Don just said is that if you don't have a plan, and it's spelled out pretty clearly, you're likely going to run into some trouble because of one of the first things we talked about, which is the pace of change. So that's just the nature of the beast. And so have a plan, whatever it is, have a plan and see where you are on a consistent 360 like basis. So. Don, that leads me to an interesting point here because one of the things some people may be thinking as they're listening in now is going, well, gee, I have all these transactions, possibilities, all these accounts. How, what, how do I figure out how to manage and, and, and where do I look at the nature of, of risk? Where do I go? How do I, what do I do? How much do I take out? What can I take out? What do you think? Well, I think the flippant answer would be, well, you take you want to take all the risk out of a deal, <laughs> and you want to take it out of every deal. Um, unfortunately, that's not the case. So again, this kind of dovetails back into what we spoke about with metrics. Uh, and, and the one metric yeah. that every salesperson is concerned about is uh, not only making their quota, but also maximizing their W-2 at the end of the year. So there's a combination of factors that come into play. Typically, salespeople... Um, have a territory, something that's assigned with multiple opportunities, multiple potentials, um, and a lot of probably unknown opportunity. Um, so the portfolio of opportunities is going to be a mix from small, medium to large. The large deals typically come with an inherently larger risk um, because there's more people competing for them typically. So the first thing that I would recommend people put in place is just what I would call a territory plan. How am I going to go after yes. it? What is my portfolio mix going to look like? How many small, medium, and large accounts am I going to have? And then I would, at, at that point, I would then take a look at each of those opportunities in the portfolio mix and decide how much effort do I need to spend building that sales architecture for each one of these. Typically, you'll build much less architecture for a, uh, for a, for a small deal and you will a large deal for the simple reason you'll have a lot more small deals typically. Um, and if you lose a couple of them, uh, that's not going to, that's not going to kill you uh, on the, on the contrary, if you're looking at a number of large accounts and you, and you're placing your bets there, um, you know, you, you almost have to take out greater than 90% of the risk uh, because if you don't and you lose one of those, there's not enough small and medium deals to make up the difference. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the combination of best practices that, that we coach our clients on. Look at the territory and then look at the individual opportunities within the territory. And then from that point, you can decide how much architecture you need uh, in order to ensure a very high probability of success. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Don, because – so many people 
you know, they assign territories and, and but they don't think about what you just said, which is, okay, what's the mix of potential opportunities here? And if there's a potential of a few big ones, but a lot of small ones, that's going to change your behavior than having a few big ones. Or as they like to say, as we all like to say in the sales business, elephants, and it is the small ones. So I think that, Don, I think you raise a great, great point there. And people need to think about that as you're looking at how each salesperson's going to act. Because they're going to behave, as, as I said earlier, and Don repeated it there in different words, compensation plan first is still going to govern the behavior. And that's the way it is. And so on that basis, when we talk about the notion of the, what's the minimum information when we're talking about you, you want to try and measure execution. You know, what, what do you, what's the, you know, I hate to say this term, but I'm going to say it anyway. What's the bare minimum you can have? And I don't want to say that's the only thing. So maybe you can give us some different levels of things you might have, Don, that, that would help us figure out if we're running a, a territory or a business, what do we try to look at to measure execution? Sure. I, I think one of the things that I see repeatedly, and, and it, you know, I, I'm astonished that, that this, you know, this practice is still in play. Nobody seems to want to drive a plan down to what I would call an activity level. And by activity, that yeah. says, you know, what are you going to do when you wake up this morning? And again, if you, if the plan's not written, it's very, very difficult to, to implement. And I think Harvard Business Review did a study years ago on uh, which plans were successful and which weren't. And I think, you know, over 80% had written plans that were considered successful. So that's the best practice that everyone should adopt. But at a bare minimum, I would say that you have to drive through the architecture down to an activity level um, so that you know why you're making a, a call and, and what you expect to get out of it. I see far too many people just doing activities for no apparent reason. <laughs> so, um, yes. you know, is it, a good, is it a good idea to call on an executive? Well, sure it is. But why? And what do you want to talk about? What do you expect the outcome to be, and how does it fit into your overall plan? That's what we see missing on the execution side uh, that we're just now beginning to see some, some adoption rates on. Um, and the beauty is is that if you can drive through the architecture of a, sales, of a sales opportunity to that level, then all you have to look at on a daily basis is that activity model. But if you don't have that and you don't have the rationale for why you're doing something, you have absolutely nothing to measure your, your day-to-day success against. Um, and, and that's where we see, that's where we see all these initiatives and, and, and sales failures uh, being driven by. Um, yeah. You think about it yeah. from the client's right, perspective. Uh, I was just going to say, if you think about it from the client's perspective, put the customer's hat on for a second. You know, do they really want to, you know, do I really want to share my pain with five different people from the, uh, from the, from the same company? I mean, don't you guys talk? <laughs> so, yeah, seriously. So, now, that's a great point. That's a great point. And Don just made a comment, and I'm going to echo it and say just a little different word, but the same thing. Activity is the key because let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, in sales, it's really easy to be busy. The question is, busy doing what? And what Don just spoke to was, you know, take the model down to the activity level to figure out what we should be doing. So let me try in our remaining time and 
Don, I, I'm sure you're going to be taking uh, that great plane Pegasus back in the air pretty soon, I'm sure, right? Oh, absolutely. The weather's just beautiful at the moment. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. But, Don, you've given us a tremendous amount to think about today. And so let me kind of summarize what we're talking about here. You know, we talked a little bit about the current state, which is why outsiders seem to have such a better impact. What you've got to also talk about is the notion of, you know, the nature of value. And it can't just be a management technique. It's got to be value to the seller or else the seller is going to do their job despite what you try. You think you're helping them with because one of the worst lines you can ever use with a seller is I'm from corporate and I'm here to help because they've heard that before. And ladies and gentlemen, they don't believe it. The nature of technology, Don, I, Don spoke a lot about there is new technology out there, especially the visualization capabilities that exist out there now. Look at them and see that they're going to provide us way to keep up with the very fast pace of sales cycle change that exists. The other thing we talk about is very frequently the nature of, you know, feedback loops. And they've got to be fast and quick in sales. The term 360 is tossed around a lot, but in sales, it's almost like a constant set of 360s. you got to be always doing it because things change so quickly. And then metrics, metrics are important, but they can't be the same thing. It's got to be different every time. And finally, the nature of execution. You got to know how a deal's going sideways by having a written plan. If you're not following it, taking the risk out of the deal is important. And then the nature of having activity models so you know what people are doing and Don, it's always fascinating talking with you because you bring such a great wealth of experience. I want to thank you so much for, for being my guest today on sales execution optimization and talking about the new age of enablement and Fresh Eyes Consulting. Great, great company has a lot of brings a lot of value and has done it for a long time. I believe that's just FreshEyesConsulting.com. Is that correct, Don? That's right, Phil. I thought so. So make sure you take a look next week. Got a real treat. One of the pioneers in this industry of enablement and execution, Mike Bosworth is going to be our guest, the original author of Solution Selling. He's going to be very excited to be here, and we're going to talk a lot about him. And I'll tell you, folks, hopefully you had your pens and papers out because Don gave you a lot of great things to take away from the day. It has been great being here with Don Rupper today. Don, thank you so much for being with me today, and I also want to say thank you for your service. As a former Navy pilot, a sub-hunter, you served us well in the ne- in the country, and then you went on to a great career in sales, sales management, executive management. So thank you very much, Don. Appreciate your time. Appreciate you being here with us today. And ladies and gentlemen, for Don Rupert, I'm Phil Bush, and for our entire crew here at Voice America. We thank you for being with us on Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO. We will see you next Monday. Thank you for listening this week. Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO, can be heard live every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. 